Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 30th of May, 2022. Happy, happy Memorial Day. Uh, yes, and thanks to everybody who made the ultimate sacrifice so that we may live free and sorry about what we've allowed to happen in this country since then. But don't worry, we're still in the fight. We're still in the fight. And we'll defeat these leftist communists. SOBs. Anyway, welcome to the show. It's going to be a shorter show. It's a holiday, for God's sakes. I'm just going to go off on a few things, give you some updates and such and so on, because hopefully you're having a barbecue with family or doing something that's exciting and wonderful. At least that's what I hope. So we'll get to that as quickly as possible. Thanks to everybody who uh, subscribes at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast. Uh, the Curse Program, the winner of the signed book or books will be announced at the end of this program, so you got to wait for that. I'm not, not giving you a break on that one on the holiday. And then also the announcement of what is the new book or books that are up for this week is at the end of the program, so you've got to stick around. Uh, is there anything else I got to... Oh, I saw, I emailed with somebody last week, and I apologize. I'm horrible with names, and I get a trillion emails, about the Joy Reid project. And I was going to start DVRing her this week and, and just write down her... Uh, make note of her sponsors. And then I realized that today's a holiday. She's not going to be on. So I'm going to do that next week. It's already in my calendar up there. So there you go. I just wanted to give you that update. All right, now let's get started with the program so we can all get started with our holiday you watch the news and you go this story can't possibly get any worse and it does it does the more we learn the worse this story gets down in uvalde texas i I don't i talked about this on the last show i don't blame police officers for being apprehensive about running toward the fire anybody should be apprehensive about running toward the fire, firing, you know, guns going off. That would scare the hell out of anybody, right? But you took that job. You took that job. That job is part of the deal. That job, is, that's part of the job. When there is, should there ever be, and you don't want there to be, but just like a lot of people join, I remember during the, uh, the first Gulf War, there was a big debate about... Um, what do you call it? Conscientious objectors. Who had joined, now, the, the first Gulf War was about 20 minutes long. It was no big deal, but it was sort of part of the, the hype machine of the media. It was saying, oh, my goodness, um, Saddam Hussein's military is super strong. Going to be all kinds of problems, blah, blah, blah. And that was the deal. That was the story. So there were a lot of people who thought, well, this is going to be a long, protracted war, especially when they get up against the Republican Guard. And there were some, the media focused on them because the media always focuses on them and people like them and stories like this. They're always trying to find conflict. And of course, the media was horribly biased even back then. But they were out there focusing on these conscientious objectors. And I thought, and there was a school of thought at the time, like, why did you join the military? 
if you're a pacifist, why did you join the military? And they, it's always like, well, we wanted to get the school. You wanted to get the schooling. You wanted all the benefits, and you were counting on there not being any conflict. You were counting on there not being a war. Okay, great. We all sort of hope that there is no war, that there is no conflict. But when you sign up for the military, you understand that that's the job. You've got to be ready for that. Nobody's going to like it. Nobody's going to love it. Nobody's going to have a good time with it. But that's part of the job. It's a risk you take. You can sit there and say, well, we'll never go to war. I'm going to go and I'm going to get on the GI Bill and it's going to be great. And it's going to help me get through college. But that's not how the world worked out for you. You should not be able to, in the middle, unless you had some sort of massive conversion, you should not be able to shirk your responsibilities. That's part of the deal when you signed up. And these police officers in Uvalde, Texas, who stood around outside for an hour, who prevented parents from running into the school, one parent, this is a story of a parent in the Wall Street Journal who managed, in the time that they heard about the uh, the shooting happening, drove 40 miles, got there, fought with police to try and get in there. The police wouldn't let her, handcuffed her. She calmed down, quote-unquote. They unhandcuffed her. And then she got away, got in, found her child, and got her child out all before the police went in. It's an amazing, amazing story and a testament to a parent's love and to the police failure. Because the police were standing around outside trying to figure out the absolute best and safest and whatever way to get in there. That's what they wanted. They wanted the best and safest way to get into the school. That's not the job. You can sit there if you're in the military and we're going to war and you say, all right, well, we're going to uh, find the best and safest way to go to war. We need to make sure that while we can't guarantee there are no casualties, we have to find a way to make sure there's as few as humanly possible. And you come up with a plan where like, all right, well, there's 100 casualties this way. That's pretty good. Yeah, there's 1,000 men and 100 casualties. Well, we can do better. We can do better, and you can plan yourself into paralysis. You can do all sorts of things to prevent what needs to be done from being done. Again, I understand the human nature at play here. That being said, you took the job. The job is that you are to risk. Now, if you want to argue that police aren't paid well, and I agree with you, you got these jackals on the left with the defund the police and cutting salaries and cutting starting salaries and benefit and all that stuff. I'm right there with you. I think for all the talk about, oh, we've got to, every time you hear it, what do you hear? Every time there's a campaign, we've got to raise teacher pay. We've got to raise teacher pay. We've got to increase teacher pay. And usually politicians do it because it's wildly popular because teachers are portrayed as heroes. Some are, most aren't. But they're portrayed as, oh, teachers, this, teacher pay, we must raise teacher pay. You never hear we must raise police pay. But we maybe we should raise police pay. 
We are asking them to risk their lives, not on the occasional tragedy like this, but in general every single day. And we're holding them to uh, standards that the left sets, which is dangerous for them. So maybe we should raise teacher or raise police officers' pay every time because you see what's going on. Police officers don't want to get out of their cars. They don't have to. If they see something happening on the street, they might as well just drive past it unless it's called in, unless they're ordered, unless they have the cover of they've been ordered to go and investigate or ordered to go and stop or whatever. They don't want to do it. The Ferguson effect is in full effect. Can't blame them. So you sit there and you go, maybe we should be paying them more. We are asking them to risk their lives. That being said, it's a tough case to make when there are dozens of police officers standing around outside not risking their lives. You have to wait for a special, basically a special forces unit from Border Patrol to show up and go in because they couldn't get past the door. The police said they couldn't get past. I'm pretty sure you get past the door if you really wanted to get past the door. I'm pretty sure you could have found a way to kill this monster if you really wanted to. But I want you to listen to this is Lieutenant uh, Chris Oliveras with the Uvalde police trying to explain why it is against the protocols involved in a, a shooting like this when the the order is the the protocol is the standard is get in there ventilate the creature doing this kill them every second you wait is a second that that person can be in there killing innocent children you go into the school instead lieutenant chris Oliveras, i don't envy him he has to try and come up with a way to explain this away and this was the best he had on cnn but don't current the best practices lieutenant call for officers to disable a shooter as quickly as possible regardless of how many officers are actually on site correct the active shooter situation you want to stop the killing you want to preserve life but also one thing that of course the american people need to understand is that officers are making entry into this building uh they do not know where the gunman is uh they are hearing gunshots they are they are receiving gunshots at that point if they if they proceeded any further not knowing where this suspect was at um, they could have been shot they could have been killed and at that point that gunman would have the opportunity to kill other people inside that school so they were able to contain that gunman inside that classroom uh, so that he was not able to go to any other portions of the school to commit any other killings they didn't know where he was but their inaction was able to contain him how do you square that sir how do you figure that how does that work Wolf doesn't ask about that. That one is one of the just, you know, occurs to me listening to it is we didn't they couldn't go in because they didn't know where he was, but he was contained. Well, how do you know? How do you know? And the point is he's in a room with children. Children who are faking being dead. Children one, according to one report, and you have to take everything that you hear reported with a grain of salt until somebody actually admits it. But there's reports of the police calling out stupidly, telling kids that uh, if they're hiding in there to yell out, to call out. So that the police will know where they are, and one did. And guess who heard 
that kid call out the monster if you're going to do that you've got to go in you've got to go in is there a possibility you could get shot of course there's a possibility you could get shot that i hate to say it is part of the job do you think the guys coming over on those small transport ships on june 6th 1944 wanted to get out of those boats the german fire was already rattling off the ramps as it was up working as a shield the second it went down soldiers went down soldiers got shot yet they went forward they went up the beach it would have been really easy to hide in the water float in the water stay below the water try and breathe in your helmet get some water get some air in there and then go underwater. It would have been really easy to do that. They didn't do it. They probably, to that point in their lives, had never met a German. Never been attacked personally by a German. But it was their duty. It was their job. It was what needed to be done. To go into that school was their duty, the police officer's duty. It was their job. It is what was needed to be done. Yes, there's the fog of war. Yes, there's the confusion. Yes, there's everything that goes on in a moment like that and more than you could ever possibly imagine. And everybody hopes nobody can ever actually get that for themselves. You don't want people to experience that. But that situation existed. It's their job to cut through it. You expect police officers, we expect police officers to do the impossible in a lot of cases. We hold them to standards. If somebody's fighting them, we expect them to fight back. If somebody's trying to kill them, we expect them to fight back with just enough force to subdue them. If somebody's trying to beat holy hell out of them. And once you get them down, the adrenaline rush is going, no, you've got to stop immediately. Because if you throw one more punch, suddenly it becomes abuse, even though that guy was just pounding your face into the concrete and you managed to get the upper hand on him. We do ask the impossible. Maybe we do need to pay police officers significantly more. That being said, the people standing around outside maybe, probably, should not continue to be police officers. If you pay police officers enough, then maybe you get people who are willing to do the job should really be almost a recruiting station for police officers at every person who is discharged from the military. If you're willing to sign up to fight for this country, then you'd be willing to defend this country and you'd be willing to risk your life to, if you're willing to risk your life for other people, for third countries, this country has deployed more for defense of third countries than our own selves, then maybe you should be a police officer. So all this, you know, money throwing, you want to throw money at education, fine. I'm fine with that. You, I'd like to see some, I don't know, some accountability attached to that money. Some sort of, all right, well, we're paying you more now. How about we get better results? And if we don't get better results, then you, you don't get the money. I'd like to see merit pay introduced in teaching. We aren't regularly routinely yes there were heroic teachers but we don't ask part of the job description to risk their lives the way it is with police officers police officers did their jobs properly there'd be less of a call for teachers to risk their lives 
We don't seem to do anything right. We don't seem to do anything properly. We don't seem to do anything in the proper proportion. We don't seem to do anything that makes logical sense. You get worse results from education and you keep throwing money at it. You have a higher crime problem. People are having massive breakdowns and you're paying police less and you're demonizing police. You're demoralizing police. This country has gone bass backwards on just about everything that matters. And it's bizarre. And you sit there and you go, well, police could have been shot. Yes, police could have been shot. That'd be like a Secret Service agent getting out of the way of the VIP so they could get shot. Go, what did you do that for? Well, the guy had a gun. Didn't you see he had a gun? I shot him. I, I dove the other way. Uh, sure, he shot my guy, but I was able to take him down. Well, the job is kind of twofold. It's horrible. It's weird. It's it's counter-instinctive. You certainly don't look at a situation where somebody's going to do some harm and you go, I need to get in front of that. Most people don't. Maybe we need to recruit the people who do into the police force because what happened down in Uvalde, as we learn more about it, doesn't work. And what in the hell is going on down in Uvalde that this these stories have been able to stand for two and three days before anybody bothered to ask questions before the truth got out there? How the hell? Who are the reporters reporting falsehoods? Who are the reporters reporting garbage? Is there no curiosity whatsoever at all anymore in that? I mean, if you tell everybody that these people are Republicans, then suddenly the media would be curious and, and demand verification. But otherwise, in the race to be first, they do everything wrong. And that makes, when you find out the truth days later, more of a gut punch. Of course, in the wake of any sort of awful event like this, you've got your opportunists. You've got your just unbridled opportunists. They're just gross people, to be honest with you. And uh, they are seemingly all leftists. They are. Um, they're scrambling. They want to do something. They don't really want to do something. They want to, to, to say, we've got to do something, do something. We must find something to, to prevent. What they are really doing is saying, we've got to do what I've always wanted to do. That's what they're really saying. And what we've got to do what I've always wanted to do. We must have done what I've always wanted to have done. You sit there and go, how, how does that solve the problem? How would that have prevented what happened? Oh, well, it doesn't, but it doesn't matter. If it could save just one life. Okay. Uh, let's disband government. All right. Let's, let's just disband. If it could save just one life. It might save a life. People get killed by government all the time. So let's just disband government people get killed by democrats all the time let's disband the democratic party okay if it could save just one life you get this stupidity spiral and you sit there and you go no no real human being thinks like this and they don't really think like this. They see an opportunity and they glom onto it. You've everybody seen somebody try and put a, a round peg into a square hole. It doesn't work out. It's kind of 
<clears throat> embarrassing to watch somebody really go at it for a long period of time. They're convinced, you know, if I just get it in the right angle. Well, that's what Democrats are. That's what Democrats are doing. They're trying to get that round peg into a square hole. They want to get rid of guns. It's weird that they really only ever make this argument when tragedy when tragedy befalls people other than black people. If you really want to be like every weekend, you could make an if you wanted to make an argument against gun control, you should set up shop in Chicago, and every Monday morning, just sit there with a tally of the number of people shot. If that's what you wanted to do, if you wanted to blame the inanimate object. Democrats don't even acknowledge Chicago exists, except for they go down to Michigan Avenue every once in a while for fundraisers. That's it. There's a guy named Jason Ablock. He is a professor of economics at the Yale School of Management. He is a man of the left, and he has come up with something that he thinks is clever and that the left is sort of trying to do to try to be clever and see they don't they don't really care about the efficacy they don't really care about the means they want gun control period end of story so he thinks he's come up with something that is unique here and it's getting a lot of play on social media so i thought i would point it out to you and then blow it all to hell he says uh, now remember he's a he's a professor of economics so at Yale, no less, super smart. His uh, very sensible haircut implies that he is super duper smart. He says, my preferred policy solution to gun violence is to hold gun purchasers liable if the, the gun they purchase is ever used in a crime. Then to require gun owners who can't otherwise demonstrate a capacity to pay for purchase to pay to purchase insurance. Now, the first part you want to hold, you should be responsible for your firearms. If you store it in an uh, irresponsible way, then absolutely. And act, in honesty, they already are. People, gun owners already are held accountable for that. It's the second part where you get the problems. Uh, and then to require, if you're ever used at a crime, hold them liable. Then to require gun owners who can't otherwise demonstrate a capacity to pay to purchase insurance. Okay. Purchase in, now you to purchase a firearm already the gun costs money. The background check you've got to pay for the a lot of states you have various trainings and things like that. All sorts of things you, it costs a lot of money. You can't just go in and say, "Oh, that's two hundred dollars. Here's two hundred dollars." It ain't that easy. The left would never have you believe that, but it ain't. He continues, suppose you purchase a gun and it's later used to kill 10 people by you or someone else. You can be sued for $100 million. The value of lives times 10. If an insurance company thinks that there is a 1 in 10,000 chance of this happening, they'll charge you $10,000 in premiums when you buy that weapon. That's not how you would think somebody in the Yale School of Management, that's not how insurance works, but whatever, we'll play his game. So you add $10,000 to the cost of a gun. All right. So this uh, solution achieves the first 
best in the sense that insurers would then be incentivized to figure out the size and of the externality imposed by any given gun purchase and charge the would-be purchaser a premium equal to that externality. If you are a farmer in Wyoming and your rifle is exceedingly unlikely to be used in a crime, insurance will charge you very little to insure your firearm. This policy would make no difference to the price you pay to own a gun. That's not true. If you add anything to the price you pay to own a gun, you have added to the price you pay to own a gun. And again, I'm not a professor at the Yale School of Management, but even I know basic math. Also, that's not how insurance works. You do pay extra based on your risk, but you are part of a pool, a pool of insurance. You are one person in the pool, and every person in the pool, their existence adds more water. Some add more water than others. If you are a farmer in Wyoming, you're not adding a whole lot of water to the thing. But if you live in Baltimore... You are adding water to it. Guns in Baltimore are likely to be used, more likely than a gun in Wyoming, to be used in the commission of a crime. But the water gets spread over the whole pool. So the farmer in Wyoming or the person in the suburbs or whatever ends up paying more. You spread the... This is... What he's arguing is for individuality. Your individual circumstances. Everybody thinks that's how that's not how insurance works. You spread the risk around. You take people who are going to cost you a lot of money. You insure people with a history of being sick in your medical insurance, but then you cut that down, the risk and the cost, by spreading it out over a whole bunch more people who don't have a history of being sick. That's how it works. Again, I didn't go to the Yale School of Management, but uh, that's just common sense. What essentially he is, um, well, he shows his ignorance in his next tweet. He says, if you are a, uh, alternatively, if you purchase an automatic weapon, insurers will have a strong incentive to make damn sure you don't plan to use it to kill a bunch of people. Otherwise, they will charge you astronomical premiums. It takes a special license from the federal government to get an automatic weapon. An automatic weapon is a machine gun. Semi-automatic weapons are the scary ones that Democrats always try to ban. Can't buy an automatic weapon without special circumstances. The semi-automatic weapon is pull the trigger, one bullet comes out. Pull the trigger again, another bullet comes out. You don't need to flintlock it. You don't need to reload it after each shot. A pretty much every pistol you've ever heard of is a uh, a semi-automatic this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about but it doesn't stop these people from weighing in it doesn't stop these people from trying to impose their will on everybody else he says this solution could also work for suicides as long as we require the insurance company to pay in that case as well if you try to purchase a gun assemblage to uh, if you try to purchase a gun accessible to someone at high risk of suicide insurers will charge you very high premiums if this guy's a soothsayer who can figure out who's going to try to commit suicide he should give us that information not hide it from us 
And he concludes, Note, this is not very different from what we already do in the U.S. with car insurance. This does not mean it is politically realistic in the U.S., but politically, uh, political feasibility is harder to forecast than pundits realize. You know, stick to economics, genius. Actually, go back and study economics because you don't even seem to understand how the insurance market works. All this Jason Obluck, Obluck is doing is what Democrats have already done. He's just exacerbating an existing circumstance, therefore making that existing circumstance worse. What is that existing circumstance? He is increasing the cost of defending yourself to the point that really only rich whitey can afford it. Oh, there's rich other people too, but the left hates rich whitey. There's more rich whitey. There's more white people in this country, so it makes sense that there'd be more rich whitey. So that's what he's doing. This is the Rich Whitey Defense Act. Rich whitey needs to be able to have their, they'll be able to afford their firearms. For all the left's hatred of billionaires, Elon Musk could be able to afford an army, even if you charge him $10,000 a pop for insurance. Although I'm sure that there would, Elon would probably start the damn insurance company and make a fortune on it. It is, this is the problem when liberals brainstorm, is they're working without tools. They're working without tools. If you want to buy insurance, you should, there should be an insurance product. But the Second Amendment doesn't have a caveat that said you can only exercise this right if you purchase insurance. Now, the way that the left argues nowadays is so stupid, but they do it, that words are violence. Words are violence, right? Therefore, if you're using words that upset people, that, oh my God, that trigger these leftists, maybe you need to buy feelings insurance, right? I mean, first of all, we probably need word control. There are tens of thousands of words. We don't need them all. We can get rid of a lot of words that, you know, San Francisco just banned the word chief from any position of any official position in their school system out there. Like the the chief operating officer, it's gone. They don't have a replacement for it, but they got rid of it. Why? Because it's offensive to Native Americans, says the white people in charge. I doubt they talk to any Native Americans. There is uh, the simple fact that when uh, evil Whitey came over here to the United States and discovered the noble Native American and destroyed utopia on Earth by existing, all of which is a joke, by the way, but um, the Native Americans, the Indians didn't speak English. So the word chief is not their word. It's not cultural appropriation. It doesn't matter. It had many applications in English, but because one of them was adopted by the Native Americans for their leadership, it's now offensive and has to be gone. I love how they have no they have nothing to replace it. So if you're the chief operating officer, what are you now? Just operating officer? <laughs> well, officer out in San Francisco is police. They don't like police. So you're just uh, operating. Are you a medical professional? Maybe you just shouldn't have a job title. Everything that the left puts forward is dumber than the last thing they put forward. And I would say in the case of Jason Oblock and his gun insurance, 
for $10,000, depending on where you live. I'd say it's an unintended consequence that it would simply make sure that poor people would never have the means legally to defend themselves. But I don't think that's by accident. I think that's by design. What it really does is it takes law-abiding citizens of any income, but mostly low and middle income who don't have 10 grand to shell out, and makes them felons. It makes them criminals, the people who just want to defend themselves, the people who are law-abiding and want to defend themselves. Suddenly, if you own a gun, you've become a felon. The, The line has been moved. You didn't cross it. It crossed you. And the left is perfectly fine with this because they have an objective, period, end of story. They don't give a damn about anything else. That's how all of their policies are. That's how pretty much everything they put forth is. They don't really care how many people die in the wake of what they've proposed, of what they've imposed, how much damage it does. They want it. Tough. Shut up. Take your medicine. It's a sickness. It's a sickness. Since we're talking about professors and academia and what have you and just how worthless they are and this guy's got his thoughts on uh, oh well this is this would be a great way to control guns you know it's a great way to control people if you want to uh, control people tax the hell out of things regulate the hell out of things it's the natural state of progressives we've got another professor out there that um, has some very interesting ideas i don't know where these leftists get their ideas except for the fact to say that they are what my old boss, Henry Alexander, when I was roofing, said was uh, people educated beyond their intelligence. All of these people are professors. That last guy was a professor. He's a professor at Yale. And now this woman, Saida Grundy, is a professor. Uh, she's an assistant professor at Boston University's College of Arts and Sciences. So I don't know what that means, except that I know that... Um, she probably has her friends call her professor. Anybody? I'm Professor So and So. Like I watched the show Below Deck, right, on Bravo. It's a great show. I love it. It's about it's a reality show about um, about the crew of a luxury super yacht that is rented out by uh, the week, and you know, not by celebrities rent them out too. They don't. Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't own a super yachty. He rents it. He owns the Victoria's Secret models that populate it, but he doesn't own the yacht itself. So they, uh, they you can rent it for like $100,000 for two weeks or whatever it is. I don't know. It's probably up now, thanks to Biden. Damn you, Biden. But these people rent the super yacht on the show for like three days or sometimes two days. I imagine they get a deep discount, if not free. I'm sure it, may, it pays to know somebody at Bravo to get this deal. But the crew, it's all about the crew, and they're all sleeping together. They're all fun. They're all this. They're all that. They're all the other thing. And there was a woman who was on there a couple weeks ago, a couple episodes ago. Dr. I can't remember her name. Dr. Sandy Fenstermaker, we'll just say. And in the preference sheet where they tell you, you know, we want to eat this kind of food, and I don't, I have a, a peanut allergy or whatever. They tell you that. They said that she wanted the crew to only refer to her as Dr. Fenstermaker. And that that's like Jill Biden. I I worked really hard to get my education doctorate. Call me Dr. Biden. Really? Could you 
Could you save a life? No, I couldn't. But I, I want to. I have a massive inferiority complex, and I'm wildly stupid. And so I want you to call me doctor. <laughs> That's what most of these people remind me of. Is somebody who's like, I worked very hard to get this thing. Anyway, I want you to listen to Saida Grundy talk about George Floyd two years on. She says that private property is racist, essentially. I mean, there's no, it's not essentially, that's what she says. Private property is racist. If we are going to talk about George Floyd and really understand it, then we need to understand community reactions to it. And we often hear politicians, we hear civic leaders from inside black communities and from outside of them as well. We hear President Biden say, you know, I understand your frustrations, but don't destroy property. Well, when you say that to black people who historically have been property, one of our greatest weapons against injustice was the looting of ourselves as property from the system of slavery. And what we see in communities is they're reacting to the very racism of what we call property, right? So that's why I think it's very important for you know people who see reactions in communities to not judge and to not make assumptions about what is good and not good reactions and not actually re-victimize communities by saying there's an acceptable and a not acceptable way to react. Listen to them, and then we can say what these communities need. <laughs> I think they need a grocery store. I think they need a drug store where people can pick up their prescriptions, and they don't have them now, thanks to this. So, yeah. Oh, no, we looted ourselves. Black people looted themselves from slave. No, no. No, there was no great slave uprising, nothing against history, but history shows that it was the Civil War that ended slavery. It was not the great slave revolt of uh, 1865. Unbelievable. No, 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 don't judge. Who are you to judge? What you? Well, I, I'm going to judge anybody who decides that Target wronged their ancestors. <laughs> it's a, a company that didn't exist wronged ancestors you probably don't know most people don't know any names of their ancestors beyond maybe a great grandparent so i'm i'm sure that some of my ancestors at some point were wronged by somebody i'm not going to go and steal all the video games at a walmart because of it i'm not going to burn down a grocery store because of it oh no private property is right you're re-victimizing communities by saying what is acceptable and what is not acceptable no no we're not treating you like children like you apparently want to be treated we're saying you need to control yourselves okay nobody's denying slavery but george floyd's death had nothing to do with it george floyd's death had more to do with the fact that he was passing off counterfeit money while high on drugs and his body had like what seven times the lethal amount of fentanyl in it at the time just saying that might have been a factor but i would ask uh, professor grundy if you care so deeply about george floyd if you're still to, i mean you live in boston so i'm not really sure you're all that impacted by George Floyd. But if you care so deeply about George Floyd, I guarantee you, you've got a George Floyd around Boston University. Universities tend to attract 
homeless people, places with a lot of foot traffic attract homeless people because it's good for begging. I'd ask Professor Grundy, what are you doing about your local George Floyd? Are you doing anything about your local George Floyd? Have you adopted a homeless person to try to help them? To try and see, you know, maybe maybe if you find somebody who's homeless because of circumstance rather than mental illness or because of drug abuse, you can probably help them. You can probably help. Now, it's very rare that somebody is homeless because of circumstance, but it does happen. What do you mean it's very rare? Well, if you're unable to, if suddenly things turn bad, you lose your job. You got your money ripped off, whatever it is. It wasn't because you had a mental breakdown. It wasn't because you uh, got uh, got addicted to crack or anything like that. But if it's just circumstances, whatever, the economic spiral, the Joe Biden economy, caused your economic circumstances to be such that you would not be able to afford your rent any longer and you're being evicted. Most people who don't suffer from drug addiction who don't suffer from mental illness, have a family member or a friend who would be like, yeah, dude, you you can crash on my couch. Don't, no, you're not going to go sleep on the streets. You're not going to go sleep in your car. You come crash on my couch, okay? Don't worry about it. Do that. Most people would do that unless there's something else at play. So Saida Grundy around Boston University, uh, maybe 3% of the homeless people out there are uh, people just because of circumstances. Find them. Find one. Make their lives better. If you care so deeply about George Floyd, if you're so moved by George Floyd that you are out there spending calories justifying the destruction of cities two years later, do something now to help somebody. If, you know, as I get it, helping somebody with a drug addiction or with mental problems or both, which George Floyd did in addition to a criminal history. That's a heavy lift. You need uh, institutional help for that. Although maybe you could get somebody that institutional help. Maybe you could encourage Boston University to use some of its money. I don't know how much of an endowment Boston University has, but I suspect Boston University has itself an endowment. Maybe you could get them to build some sort of shelter that includes drug counselors, that includes everything that people who have a different issues could need instead no you sit there and you say oh no you're re-victimizing communities because you're telling them don't burn down the grocery store that's insane people are uh, paying big money for this sort of garbage from their universities I don't know what Boston University talked They did churn out AOC, so... Ugh. But the idea that we're sitting here and dealing with these people and living in this world with people like this being looked at as though they are um, authorities, as though they are good people, as though they are somebody who should be listened to, is beyond the pale to me. None of these leftists are good people. The manufacturer of the gun that was used down in Texas. The Washington Post has a story. Owners of Daniel Defense, the manufacturer of the rifle apparently used in Uvalde, Texas massacre, 
are deep-pocketed Republican donors. The owners have donated more than $70,000 directly to GOP candidates for federal office this election cycle. They have a whole story. They sicked a reporter, a dude with a hyphenated last name, Isaac Stanley Becker. I can only guess why his name is hyphenated. Says makers of big political contributions by the owners of Georgia-based Daniel Defense show the financial clout of the gun industry, even as the NRA spending declines. A financial con- You're going to buy a political party for $70,000? If you could buy a political party for $70,000, everybody would be taking out a second mortgage on their house. $70,000 doesn't buy you squat, especially spread out over 535 candidates. Doesn't. It just doesn't. But the left is counting on you being an idiot. The left wants you to be an idiot. And if you came through places like Boston University or the Yale School of Management, there's a fairly decent chance you are an idiot. So you will fall for that and find out, my God, this this gun company, they own Republicans. Why? Well, because they gave some money. Well, what about George Soros, who spent $10 million electing prosecutors that are Democrats? Well, that's different. How's it different? Well, he's ours. $70,000 is clearly more than a billion dollars or $110 million or whatever George Soros is spending. Joe Biden won't even let you in the room with him for less than $35,000, but $70,000 can buy a whole political party. But if you really want to get in the room with Joe Biden, you're going to have to pay Hunter a hell of a lot more than seventy thousand dollars. That's going to—that's the monthly starting fee. Then you probably get a private dinner with Joe. You might get a golf outing with Joe. You might even get a look inside his medicine cabinet to find out what medicine he's taking to dilate his pupils that way. It's just unbelievable. Now, what's funny is, of course, the Washington Post is owned by billionaire Jeff Bezos. But that doesn't deep pocket seventy thousand dollars. Jeff Bezos gives that in a a day that ends in Y to Democrat causes and Democrat organizations. He funds. See, they get around the their limits, their campaign donation limits. It's like twenty five hundred dollars or whatever it is. Like I don't know. I'm not given to a politician. I don't give to politicians. I think it, if you, as for what I do for a living, it would corrupt it. If I adopted a politician, if I really liked a politician, I'd be less likely to. Uh, criticize them when they need it if it's weird if you be, that's why i don't want to be friends with politicians you become friends with politicians and then they you, you end up not being able to say what you really think about them i think that's the best way to go there are plenty of hosts that are compromised but i don't want to be but this idea that you can buy politicians for this the way they get around the way the left gets around the way everybody gets around these donation limits is you can give like a hundred, couple hundred thousand dollars if you give to every state's party and uh, then they can give that to the national party and then the national party can direct it to a specific candidate, especially for president. But there are all these other organizations out there, 501c4s, that don't have donation limits. You can give them whatever the hell you want and they will act on behalf of the party. But don't worry, $70,000 um, to a whole bunch of candidates total, 70000 total, is being painted as these people have horns. Sick, sick people. Sick, sick people. I want to shift gears in the time we have left to just get you some of this audio and these people and these nut jobs. Good God. Uh, Joy Reid is an awful human being. 
She's one of those people educated beyond her intelligence. She doesn't have any intelligence, so any education is beyond her intelligence. She went to Harvard, you see. And you sit there and you go, you Joy Reid should be one of those people where, because people who go to Harvard or went to Harvard make sure to tell you you went to Harvard. They went to Harvard. They want you to know. You don't drop that kind of money on an education if you don't want the world to know about it. So uh, she's out there. I think she was also a Rhodes Scholar, which is, again, a testament to how you should apply for if you're young and you want to try to get a Rhodes Scholarship. You think, well, I'm never going to get it. Try it. They're giving them out to idiots. You know, they're giving them out. to. It's about being a liberal more than anything else. So whatever essay you have to write, make sure you you don't come out and flat out lie. You just shade the truth and imply things that aren't necessarily true because that'll help you. Liberals only help liberals. Liberals only help liberals. Well, Joy Reid, if you're sitting there and you're going, well, because you see this all the time since the shooting down in Texas, since every time there's a shooting, you see these people going, why won't we do anything? Why won't they do anything? We need to do something about guns. They never have any solutions. It's just do something about guns. Do something about guns. What? What? Well, assault weapons. What's an assault weapon? It's a big, scary rifle. So what if we paint them pink? Are they less scary? Do we put clowns on them? Like what? Have an idea of of what you want to do and then explain how it would have impacted the events that happened. Nothing they put forth would ever pass that smell test. It wouldn't impact the things that happened. Uh, even if they had been in place, they would not have prevented it. We need expanded background checks. This guy had a background check. There was nothing. It's nothing. Well, uh, whatever. Shut up. Ban this kind of rifle. You would have bought something else. Why do my rights have to be curtailed to make you comfortable? I'm sorry, but it's not the way the world works. Joy Reid, though, is the real reason why nothing gets done because there are things that could be done there's she mocks the idea of dealing with mental health here she blames the gun the inanimate object the one thing for sure that you could know that i imagine a lot of people listening right now have guns in their homes that aren't killing anybody that aren't out robbing banks and aren't out beating up old ladies and pushing children downstairs nothing like that they exist because they exist and they are inanimate objects. And you sit there and you go, how is the gun to blame? She doesn't care. She doesn't explain it. They don't have to explain it. She belittles the idea of dealing with mental health. If you don't think an 18-year-old shooting point blank in the face a bunch of 7-year-olds has mental problems... And you haven't been paying attention. But I want you to listen to this. And you sit there. And if you ever wondered why it is that bipartisanship doesn't even come together on common sense things, on the basic things, look no further than someone like Joy Reid. Good evening, everyone. We begin the readout tonight with Republicans just tying themselves into pretzels to point the finger at every single thing but the problem, the gun. In the wake of the murders of 19 fourth graders and two of their teachers in Uvalde, Texas, from mental health to arming teachers to more armed law enforcement in schools, every single thing except making it harder to buy weapons of war. 
If you were sent into war with an AR-15, you would revolt. It's a semi-automatic weapon where most states have capacity limits on the clips as well. But you sit there and you're... If you were sent to war with a semi-automatic weapon, you would revolt. You would. But it's the gun's fault. It's the gun's fault. That is the default position of stupid people. Joy Reid is a stupid person. She doesn't care. She That is the words. Those are the words of somebody who doesn't actually want to address the problem. You can sit there. You can still believe that it's the gun's fault. But you have to also acknowledge that there's mental illness involved here, right? You have to acknowledge that there's mental illness involved here. She doesn't. She poo-poos the idea. It's a special kind of evil and a special kind of stupid that does that. So you sit there and you go, they can't do anything. Joy Reid will never agree to, and the people who follow Joy Reid and the people who think that Joy Reid represents a, a swath of the Democratic Party, and Joy Reid represents anything in progressive world, they'll go, I'm not going to, I can't go against Joy Reid. She'll, she'll come after me. Politicians do care about such things bizarrely and stupidly they are politicians who think that twitter is real life it is not anywhere close to real life people who think msnbc is real life it is not anywhere close to real life but if you came out with a proposal to address mental health in this country joy reed and her army of idiots would have to oppose it they would oppose it why because they want gun control now that we have gun control, gun control is everywhere. Gun control is not lacking in this country. Gun control is everywhere. So maybe instead of trying more of what hasn't worked, you try something you haven't tried before. See how that works. But because the left is such a bunch of jackasses now, and a bunch of D-bags, you can't. The Joy Reeds of the world do not hold official power in the Democrat Party, but they hold powerful sway. It's kind of actually more important if you really get down to it. So you sit there and you go, why can't they do anything? That's why. Democrats will only insist on what hasn't worked being done more, and they will not even attempt to try what hasn't been tried. Because if they do discover that mental health is the issue and they address mental health and it makes a difference, that won't help them ban guns. They want to ban guns. They don't really care about how it happens, how many graves they have to stand on. They want to ban guns, period, end of story. So don't sit there and you watch the, you know, the shows on the weekends and the weekday shows and you go, huh, everybody's sitting around griping and grousing about how nothing's getting done. This is why nothing gets done. Nancy Pelosi has the same attitude. She's just more artful about it. She's smarter than Joy Reid. Chuck Schumer, same thing. All of these people have the same objective. They want guns. They don't look at a tragedy and think we need to alleviate the tragedy. They look at a tragedy and think, boy, howdy, I can use that. I can use that. There's sociopaths that look at things that way, but they do. Sick. But liberalism is a mental disorder. 
All right, that's about enough for today. I'm ready to just not be working on a holiday, huh? How about that? Take a little relax, except I'll be doing radio and I'll be doing... And i got to write a column. So what the hell? I just want to stop working right now, let's be honest. But before we get to that, we have business to attend to. This week's winner is the first dual winner. He wins the uh, Yuval Levin and Rich Lowry books. His name is uh, Anthony Maltry. Anthony, congratulations, Anthony Maltry. Check your Patreon messages. You, should, you get an email saying you got a Patreon message. I probably should find a way to cut out the middleman. But congratulations on that. And now the big announcement for this week's contest. And, of course, Wilfred Riley returns with hate crime hoax. And he is joined by... Right here, I hold in my hands. This is a good one. This is a really good one, too. This is a tough week to pick. Dennis Leary, one of the funniest human beings on the planet. Dennis Leary's book, Why We Don't Suck and How All of Us Need to Stop Being Such Partisan Little Bitches. Autographed rather largely by the man himself, Dennis Leary. Just one of the funniest dudes ever. So check it out. Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast. You go there. Five bucks a month, every week you get a chance to win big autographs. You get bonus shows, bonus content, all kinds of things. I'll probably post some pictures of the kids, too. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. If you're if you're a member, you get notifications. So uh, go and join. Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast. Enter to win the contest. All you do is you tell me on the post there which book you want. You want uh, Wilfred Riley or you want Dennis Leary. Both are autographed. Your choice. No judgment. No judgment. So congratulations to our winner. Thanks to everybody who played. It's time to play again, and it's time to start our weeks. Have a great one. I'll see you tomorrow. 